Amen. Well, thank you, Tiffany. Uh, if y'all don't know Tiffany, uh, you need to get to know her. She coordinates all of our life groups and our women's ministry here, and she's been a huge joy and blessing to our staff. So uh, make sure you go down and say hi, especially if you want to know more about getting connected and about knowing uh, maybe a life group potential or maybe even starting a life group, whatever it may be. Uh, she's kind of your contact go-to person. Uh, Pastor Jim sends his regards. He currently is in Tanzania with uh, a team from Woodside. They are evaluating a potential partnership there. And so he sent us some videos this morning. I think he said he'd been to four different churches already today, all outside, beautiful weather, beautiful singing and dancing, and very, very different than here. So what we could do is we could get up and start dancing and singing, and that could be our worship service. So if y'all want to, feel free to do that. You won't be kicked out. Nobody got up. Okay, sweet. Uh, if you're at home, you can do that as well. So um, like Tiffany said, we're wrapping up our Jonah series today. And uh, I hope for you, it has been an impactful last few weeks. If you haven't had a chance to listen to all the sermons, I want to encourage you, take the opportunity the next few days. You can go out to a podcast service. You can go out to Facebook and just watch the sermons maybe that you missed. But really what we got to see as we walked through and traveled through the book of Jonah uh, really, we got to see a mirror. And we got to see a mirror, maybe, if, of our own life. And maybe some moments in our life where we maybe didn't listen to what it was that God was telling us to do. And uh, as I was preparing and looking at this Sunday and uh, just praying and asking the Lord, what is it that we highlight? What is it, Lord, that you have to say to us? Um, I started to think about a couple of instances, or actually these things happened to me this week. One of them was uh, a prompting. Uh, have you ever had that moment where maybe you feel like God is kind of saying something to you? Do you feel like maybe God is kind of saying, hey, I want you to go and say hi to this person, or hey, I want you to go to this place? Or maybe it's the opposite where God says, hey, I don't want you to talk to this person. I don't want you to go to this place. Have you ever had any of those moments before in your, in your walk with the Lord? right? Maybe you feel like it's a still small voice. Maybe it comes through counsel from a friend or a spouse or somebody maybe at church. Well, in those moments of prompting, you and I have a choice to make, right? We can listen to what it says. We can listen to what we believe is the Lord speaking to us, or we can choose not to. Wednesday morning, got up, got my coffee, went and sat down by the fire and started to have my devotional time. And all of a sudden, there was just this prompting to reach out to a friend of mine. He has, uh, he and his family have been through a lot of health issues the last couple of months and um, haven't really seen him or talked to him very much in the last few weeks. And he was just so prominent on my mind. And it was like, hey, you need to reach out, shoot a text, give him a phone call, whatever it may be. And I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Not because I didn't want to. He's a friend of mine. I just got distracted, got busy. I was like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll do that later. Oh, I'll do that on the way in, you know, to the office, or I'll do that, you know, after the kids go to bed. I just, I, I didn't do, I never did it. And then two days later, I was made aware that uh, his mother-in-law had passed away. And the family had been expecting it. The family had known that she was near the end. And when I found out that news from another person, I immediately had this weight and this sense of guilt. Why didn't I reach out? Why didn't I just simply call or send a text? 
And it's not that my, uh, my words or anything else like that necessarily would have changed reality, but it could have been an opportunity that God wanted to extend love and compassion for this family on that day. And I missed that opportunity. And I, talk, I called him later and talked to him, and we got to talk about this whole thing. And I told him, I said, hey, I'm sharing this on Sunday in my sermon, so hope you're okay with that. Um, but it was one of those moments in my life where I'm like, I didn't listen to what God was telling me to do. Have you ever had a moment like that? I've got another story that happened this week. There was a family here in the church, and um, the husband passed away. Uh, he was a husband, a father, and uh, he passed away. And we've known him for several years. We've been praying specifically for him for several years, just that he would come to know Jesus, that he would be saved. Uh, his wife was faithful to pray for him in that way. And up until this point, there was no moment of surrender, no moment of, of salvation for him. And there was another individual, uh, she's a chiropractor, and she had done a lot of treatments for him over the last couple of months, years. And she, when she heard the news that he went into hospice, she said that she felt the Lord was saying, hey, I want you to do something special for this family. I want you to do something special for them. She didn't know what it was. She talked to her husband. They said, yeah, we don't know what it is that we should do, but we should be prepared and willing and ready to do whatever it is that may come up. And after she had just had that conversation with her husband, her phone rang, and it was the wife of this man. And the wife just simply said, hey, can you come over, do a home visit, and do some adjustments? Y'all remember the days of doctors doing home visits? If you're 20 or 30, you probably don't. If you're a little bit older, maybe you do, right? But that's what the wife asked for, and she said, absolutely. And in that moment for this chiropractor, she knew this is what it is that the Lord wanted me to do. But it wasn't just to go and provide medical services. She's a believer. She'd been praying for this man's salvation for as long as she had known him. And so she went there on a mission knowing, God, this is what you want. This is the thing that you desire for me to do. So she goes and she says uh, on the very first visit when she walked in the door that he just began to weep. Just began to weep. And she knew in that moment that she wasn't there to do all of the services. She was there to talk to him about Jesus. She was there to minister to his heart. She was there to minister to the struggle that he was having emotionally and mentally when he recognized that his end was near. And after two or three visits, each visit she would share the same thing and she would be blunt and straightforward and to the point with him. And on that last visit, he talked about how he was struggling so much in his mind with everything that was about to occur, and he was frightened and he was unsure of what was going to happen. And what she said to him was, listen, Jesus invites you to come and lay your burdens and lay your fears and your concerns at his feet, and he will give you rest. It's from Matthew 11. He will give you rest. And she said in that moment they prayed and she just saw this release, the surrender of his life and all of a sudden he was at peace. And a day or two later, he passes away. In that moment, she had a prompting. She followed it. She obeyed it. And this man 
whom most of his friends and his family would attest to this, never wanted to talk about Jesus, never wanted to hear about Jesus, never wanted to come to this church, even declined an invitation from me to come and visit with him. I can't believe that, right? Even though he chose multiple times over and over again, God's compassion and his mercy and his love was still for this man, even unto the point of death. God's compassion for people sometimes just doesn't make sense, right? And that's kind of our theme that we, that we have to evaluate and think about when we consider Jonah. Because for Jonah, it wasn't something as simple as God asking him to go and do something. It wasn't that simple. It was much more profound and deeper than just go and obey. You see, Jonah, as a prophet of Israel, he loved God. He walked in a deep relationship with God. He was a messenger of God's truth. He was a messenger of God's purpose. And that's what his life was dedicated and focused on. And yet, when God says, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to speak to them about my impending wrath and judgment upon them, Jonah says no. And do you remember why Jonah says no? It wasn't because he was tired. It wasn't because he had too many other things to do. It wasn't because his schedule was so full. It was because Jonah had this deep-seated hatred and this deep-seated prejudice against the people of Nineveh. But why? Well, Nineveh was a capital city of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians, if you don't know your world history, they were not a great group of people. They conquered pretty much the known world at that time. They were brutal. They were murderers. They did everything possible to desecrate anything of the Jews of their worship of God. They would destroy temples. They would blaspheme God. They would do all of these things against God's people, against Israel. And Nineveh was kind of the center and the seat of power. And so for Jonah to hear from God, hey, go to these people whom I have to extend and extol my judgment upon. Go to them and tell them that I'm going to judge them, that I'm going to discipline them. And for Jonah, this is what he said. His theology comes out. He says, but God, I know that you're a gracious and compassionate God. I don't want you to forgive them. I don't want you to extend compassion to them. I don't want you to do the things that it's in your character and nature to do, which is to extend mercy, love, and hope. God, I'm not doing that because those people don't deserve it. Let's pause for a moment. Do you, do you know anybody in your life that maybe you would say, I really hope God doesn't save that person? Do you know a group of people that you look at from the outside and you say, there's no hope for these people. They're blaspheming against God. They are doing all of the things possible to defame what God's word says. They're doing all of these things. They need to be judged and God's going to judge them. God's not going to save them. Have you ever had those thoughts about people before? Have you ever had those thoughts about groups of people before? 
If you haven't, I need to learn from you because your viewpoint on people is probably higher than mine. Right? It's part of our natural response to injustice. It's part of our natural response in in a very linear way where our logic dictates to us, well, if you do all of these terrible, horrible things, then you deserve to receive terrible, horrible things. Because that's who God is. God is righteous, and he's going to judge, and he's, he loves justice. That's what needs to happen. But the truth, and this is what we highlight today and how we wrap up Jonah, is that God's compassion, truly, it exceeds our logic. His compassion exceeds our logic. There's, oftentimes, it makes no sense why God would do the things that he does especially in showing and giving compassion to a person, to a group of people who are so willing to blaspheme against him, to desecrate the things of him, and to be completely at odds with him. But yet God, but yet God. So if you have your Bibles, let's open up to the book of Jonah. Hopefully you've memorized where it is. You can turn to it super quickly, or you've memorized the page number in your Bible, or you have a little bookmark because sometimes you just forget where everything is. Uh, But go to the book of Jonah, and like Tiffany read for us earlier, uh, Jonah chapter 4, don't you love how the scriptures suddenly end, uh, and also much cattle, and then we sing a kind of a country twang worship song? It was a really intentional uh, point for us. Um, But think about this. Let's look at Jonah chapter 4. Really, you have to start at uh, the end of chapter 3. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Again, God had asked Jonah, go and preach. Go and tell the people of Nineveh that I am going to come and destroy them. And after 40 days, my judgment will be uh, doled out upon you. And again, Jonah didn't want to go because he didn't want people to respond to that judgment. He, He didn't want people to repent of their ways. So he went begrudgingly, shared that message, and then it says that the people began to repent and turn from their evil ways. The king created a fast and said, perhaps if this God of Jonah, perhaps he will have mercy upon us if we turn from our evil ways. And God did. And then we get into Jonah. Chapter four, verse one. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee, for I knew that you're a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Let's pause there for a moment and just think about kind of the irony and just kind of the like, are you serious moment that we see here for Jonah. Jonah knows all of these things to be true about God. He knows that God is compassionate. He knows that God has love that he wishes to extend upon his creation. And yet Jonah is refusing to do it because of Jonah's perspective and because of Jonah's logic and because of Jonah's sense of this is what justice must look like. 
Again, I ask you, I challenge you to think about that. Do you treat people in that way? Do you find yourself in a place where you're like, there's no hope for this person? I'm not even going to talk about Jesus with this person because all they're going to do is curse at me. They're going to make fun of who Jesus is. They're going to do this, this, and this. And Jonah, it says, is displeased and he's angry. Look how God responds to him down in verse 4. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Is it okay? Is it right for you to be angry? Anybody ever go to a counselor before? You don't have to raise your hand. Although mental health is a really good thing to look at. But if you've ever been in a counseling relationship, I'm going to give you a little inside tip. And hopefully if you are a professional counselor, you don't send me nasty emails later. But here's, here's how to evaluate a good counselor. Do they ask good questions? Do they ask great questions of you? Because a counselor's job is not to tell you what to do, but ultimately a counselor's job is to help you discover what it is that you need to do. And the best way to do that is by asking questions. Why? Why is it the best way to understand what to do next? If a counselor just simply told you, hey, all right, you have this issue. All right, let me tell you what, you're, what you need to do next. You need to do boom, 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 boom. And then you go and you do all of those things. Have you actually understood? Have you actually grown? Have you actually found resolve? Have you actually found a place of healing? Have you actually gone through that hard work of heart, uh, a heart check and a mental check of why you're in that situation in the first place? I would, I would tell you that probably not, because all you're doing is you're just conforming to what people are telling you to do, but you don't actually own it. It's not actually something that's deep-seated inside of you. It's not something where you've actually done the hard work to understand why is it that you're predisposed to act in this certain way, or why is it that emotionally you are responding in this way, or why is it, and the list goes on. A great counselor asks great questions to help you understand yourself. Did you know that God wants you to understand yourself? Did you know that God doesn't want you to just simply be a robot? Where whenever he speaks to you, you just say, yes, sir, I'll do whatever. He doesn't just want some mindless obedience what he desires of us is he wants us to interact with him. He wants us to engage with him. That doesn't mean that we question everything he says, but what it does mean is that in these moments, maybe of anger, we allow him to ask that question, is it okay for you? Is it right for you to be angry about this? I wish we could kind of like hear God's tone in this question, right? Maybe imagine like James Earl Jones speaking like in this deep, like booming voice, like, is it okay for you to, uh, is it okay for you to be angry? That was a terrible impersonation. I, I didn't practice that one. Um, <laughs> but, but like, just imagine for a moment, is that how God maybe speaks? This deep, booming voice, and you're just kind of cower in fear, and you're like, 
no, right? Or maybe there's inflections in what he says. Maybe there's a, a, a level of empathy and a level of emotion in what he says. It, is, it, is it right for you to be angry with this? Question mark. Think about that for a moment. One of the adjectives, one of the descriptors we have of who God is, of who Jesus is, is that he is a wonderful counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. Again, counselors don't just tell you what to do. Counselors help you understand who you are. And as you come to grips with who you are, they help guide you on what your next steps could look like. They don't do it for you. But instead, they empower you. Through discovery, they empower you to understand more of why it is that you are the way that you are. God is a wonderful counselor. Is it okay for you to be, is it right for you to be angry with this? So now let's ask ourselves this question that God asked Jonah. Are you angry with God's compassion? Is there some compassionate movement that you see God doing in this world or in your family or in your friend group? And it makes you a little angry. God, what? that's not right. I know the way that he used to live his life. There's no way that that guy can be up on stage preaching right now. God, th- th- this doesn't make sense. This group of people over here, they, no, we're not sending missionaries to go and preach the gospel of good news and hope to them. Look how evil they are and the evil things that they're doing. We don't need to send people over there. I was doing some, you know, in the, in the research for today, and um, I remembered the story uh, again of God's compassion not making sense. And a lot of people wrestling with, is that even true? Is it even real? And one of those has to do with a guy named Jeffrey Dahmer. He was a serial killer, murdered multiple people, was caught, convicted, and imprisoned. And there was a pastor in the area, and he felt this compulsion and this prompting to go and minister specifically to him. And in all the stories and memoirs of this pastor and of Mr. Dahmer, it talks about the development of this relationship to the point where this pastor shares the hope of Jesus, the hope of forgiveness, the hope of mercy, and that in that moment, Mr. Dahmer responds, surrenders his life to Jesus, and gets saved. The serial killer who took innocent life, got saved. You know what that means? For those of you who are believers, if he was saved, it mean, and if you're saved, it means one day when you go to heaven, guess who's going to be there? You're that guy? They let you in here? You didn't vote a certain way in a political party? You didn't go to church enough? You, you got saved right before the end of your life? They really let you in here? Boy, they let anybody in here nowadays, don't they? It's this moment of, again, of God's compassion coming out for the worst of us. 
Are you angry with God's compassion? Maybe God is calling you. Rather than to become a social media warrior and to tear down groups of people online, maybe God is saying, stop. Pray for them. Stop. Go and have a conversation with one of them. Stop and listen to a message of hope that I want to deliver through you to them. Are you angry with God's compassion? Does it frustrate you? Does it make you kind of boil in your skin because you're like, I just, uh, this is hard for me. This is hard for me. Let's keep going and talking about Jonah. Look at verse five. Jonah went out to the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself, which I uh, think of that as kind of like a, a little shade, a little stall. He sat under it in the shade till he uh, should see what would become of the city. Let's pause right here. Let's highlight this for a moment, right? Because it's kind of like a sadistic thing that's happening right here. God told Jonah, go in and, and share these words that after 40 days, if you people don't repent, I will judge you and wipe you out. I will destroy you. So what does Jonah do after he says the message? He goes to a hill, more than likely in a, a place where he can look over the city to sit there and watch. What is he watching for? What is he looking for? He wants to see some destruction. Maybe a tornado, a pillar of smoke, pillar of fire, something, fireworks, whatever it may be. He's getting a front row seat because he wants to see what God's actually going to do and how it's going to play out. I'm going to sit here under my shade and I'm just going to chill and I'm going to watch God completely destroy this city. It's going to be incredible. Look at verse 7 or verse 6. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So he's sitting somewhere. God causes this plant to grow up. They've done all this research and they, they think they know what plant it actually was, um, which I don't remember right now. Um, but to cause this plant to come up to provide shade for him. He was probably bald. More than, okay. <laughs> no offense to those who struggle with hair. Um, but he, God, God causes this shade to come up over him. Again, let's think about who God is. Jonah tried to defy God. Jonah tried to ignore what God was telling him. God, in his mercy, sent a giant fish to swallow him. Not eat him, but swallow him. Would God have been justified to completely punish Jonah for disobeying him? Yes or no? Yes. But does he do that? No. Instead, he sends a, a fish to swallow him. Spits him out. Jonah's like, okay, I get the point. I'll go and do what it is that you said. Then Jonah, in more of his defiance, says the message that God wants him to say, and then goes and sits on a hillside waiting to see God extol judgment. Think about, like, like if you're a parent, right? Think about this as a parent. You want to teach your kids lessons, right? Everybody should nod their head yes. You need to teach your kids lessons. 
Sometimes when they're just defiant and they're obstinate, you really want to teach them a lesson. Never to be defiant and obstinate towards you again. Would God have been justified to come down to Jonah and be like, what are you doing, bro? Why are you sitting here waiting to see this? Maybe Jonah's thinking like, they're not going to repent. They're not going to do that. There's no way. They're not going to do it, and then God's going to come down and extol his judgment upon them. And you know what? I'm going to love it. I'm going to soak up every moment of it because I was right. God could have come down and, 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 and treated Jonah harshly in that moment, but he didn't. Instead, he caused this shaded tree and plant to grow. Let's keep going in the verses. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm to attack the plant so that it withered. And then when the sun rose, down in verse 8, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked God that he might die and said, it's better for me to die than to live. Let's pause for a moment. Those of you with children, have your, has your child ever said that to you? It's better for me not to be here anymore. I'd rather not live because you won't let me watch Big City Greens. Okay, there's two of you who have kids that watch that. <laughs> it's better for me to not live in this house anymore because you're making me eat broccoli. It's better for me not to be here anymore because you won't let me get on an iPad. It's better for me to just go away because you're making me do my homework. Do you get kind of the, the, the joke here? This is like a fussy baby, right? It's so hot. It's like, it's like Michiganders going down south. It's so hot. I just, I can't stay in the heat. Okay, I offended some of you. <laughs> We're okay with that. But he's whining about it. He's whining about it. He's like, oh, this is so hot. This is unbearable. It's better for me just to die. More than likely, probably for Jonah, he's still kind of saying, you're not doing anything over here, God. And now the, the sun is coming. It's hot. I, my, my tree that was magically there the next morning, now it's all of a sudden gone. There's some worm that came and ate it all. What's going on? I just, I'm done. I'm checked out. I'm done. And look what God does again in verse 9. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And, God, and Jonah says, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Again, parents, hopefully you're thinking about moments with your children. Otherwise, it's just me and I need to get coaching on how to be a better parent. But again, think about that. He's like over-exaggerating this moment. And the Lord responds and says, you pity the plant for which you didn't labor, nor did you make it grow. And it came into being in a night and it perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 120, people who don't know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. What God's doing here is he's helping to um, help Jonah realize 
his faulty logic and his faulty view of what should happen and what needs to happen. Because you see, for God, he's living fully in who he is. A God of compassion, a God of mercy, a God of love, a God of, some would say, second chances, a God of redemption, a God of restoration. God is fulfilling that in the city of Nineveh. He's allowing people to repent, and he's blessing them by not persecuting and destroying them like he has the right to do. God is extending his grace over these people. And he's trying to explain it to Jonah by all of these moments. And not just forcefully telling Jonah, hey, this is what I'm doing, just listen and trust and obey. But instead, again, like a wonderful counselor, he's creating a scenario, he's creating a picture so that for Jonah, it starts to sink in and make a little bit more sense. The book of Jonah is kind of like a confession where it's Jonah retelling and and remembering what it was and what happened in all of these moments. Usually, if you're going to write something about yourself, you probably write it in such a way to make you look pretty good, right? Oh, I was mistaken. I responded to God's great, great expression of mercy. And in that moment, I repented of my own self-righteousness and prejudice. And now I am at peace with God. That's how I would have written it if I was Jonah. But he doesn't do that. He continues to kind of express and show, I was missing the deeper realities and the deeper truths of God's grace. And I think it causes us to ask a question. Have we, have we accepted how immense God's grace truly is? Have we accepted the reality that God's grace goes beyond our logic, that God's compassion goes beyond our logic? Or do we still operate in such a linear way of thinking? Where if I do right, then God will do right. And if I do wrong, then God will punish me for that wrong. In some moments, he might. But in a lot of moments, God sees that and says, this is my opportunity to blow you away with my great mercy and compassion. The book of Psalms talks about how God's kindness leads us to repentance. Not his anger, not his... um, Uh, putting you down, not his uh, sarcasm, not any of these things, but it's God's kindness that will lead you to a place of repentance. Think about Jesus. As Jesus talks about the parable of the prodigal son, if you know that story well out of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 11, the prodigal son is not just about one son. It's about two sons. The one that goes off and is wayward and wastes his inheritance and does all these terrible, horrible things and then finds himself in a pigsty and says, this is my life now. This is not good. I'm going back to my father's house to see if maybe, just maybe I could have something to eat that's not pig slop. 
And he runs back and he sees his father and his father who has been praying and waiting for his son to return runs to his wayward son while the older brother sits back, looks at the son, looks at his father and says, come on, you're going to slaughter the fattened calf for him? What about me? I've been here this whole time. I've been working the land. I've been doing everything around this place. I haven't left you. Why will you not have a feast for me? And the father says, because my wayward son has come home. That requires much rejoicing and celebration. That one who goes astray finds his way back. Romans, the Apostle Paul, describes for us kind of the picture of what it is to be saved. And there's a beautiful moment where he says, but God, even though we were still sinners, God sent his son Jesus to die for us. While we're still yet sinners, Christ died for us. God doesn't, Jesus wasn't saying, hey, listen here, if you want to be saved, if you want to spend eternity in heaven with me and with God the Father, here's what it is you must do. Start going to church every Sunday. Start giving every Sunday to your church. Be in a life group. Serve in a church ministry someplace. Stop listening to music that has inappropriate words. Stop watching TV shows or movies that have inappropriate things. Stop doing all of these other things. Kind of clean your life up in a certain way. Be a very good moral person. And then, and then, you'll be saved. Then my sacrifice for you will be made known real. It's completely opposite. While you are in the midst of sin, while you are actively committing sin, while you are actively turning away from God, God still looks at you and says, I sent my son Jesus to die for you. That's how big my grace is for you. I came for you so that you might be saved because the way that you're living right now is not what I intended for you. I have something so much deeper and more profound for you and the rest of your life in eternity. Repent. Confess me. Believe in who I am. Then you'll be saved. And it's in that moment of salvation that you realize and you recognize, look at my sinful life over here. I'm going to turn away from that and I'm going to pursue what a life following after Jesus truly looks like. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about the switch in your identity. You were lost, you were astray, you lived by the desires of your flesh, but God, in his mercy, in his grace, offered you a different way of life. So go and sin no more. Have you received that type of grace from God? Have you embraced that type of grace from God? For some of you here today, maybe you haven't. 
Maybe your sins in your life are so immense and so extreme that you think God will never choose to save me or God will never choose to rescue me because I have done these horrible things and he's never going to allow me to enter into his kingdom with him. Maybe that's you today. And from the story of Jonah, the story of Nineveh, Recognize that God's compassion exceeds your logic. He loves you. He knows what you're doing. And he says, I see it and I want a way out for you. And I provided for it through my son, Jesus. If that's you here today, respond, then you have that opportunity to respond to his grace that he extends to you. Or maybe... You're here today, and you know God's grace. You see how he's rescued you and saved you. But your worldview, the way that you view people, the way you view society, the way that you view groups of people is equal to the grace that you received. Maybe a different way. Are you willing to look at another person who may be so far from God in their actions in their life? Are you willing to still look at them and say, I don't agree with what you do, but if God can save me, he can save you. God told me to invite you over for dinner. You want to come over and just hang out? Let's not do the things that you like to do out here in the world, but why don't you just come and hang out and let's talk. Our next sermon series, that's what the whole premise of it is. It's not about how to put on a good meal for people. It's about, do you have the vision and the mindset of people that you interact with and encounter on a daily basis to say to yourself, I don't like their sin, I don't agree with their sin, but... If God can save someone like me, he can definitely save someone like them. You don't go and you don't beat them across the face with a Bible. But you simply say, will you come over? Let's have a meal. Let's go to lunch. Let's go to breakfast. And let's talk about what you're going through in life. And then let me share with you about who God is and what he desires for your life. So for Jonah, in closing, to be at odds with God, this sermon series, again, it's just like that mirror. And as it reflects and as you evaluate your own life and where you are today, how are you going to respond to what it is that he wants you to hear? Do you understand how profound and vast God's compassion is for you, but also for the entire world? And does that impact and change the way that you live for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the kingdom? So what we're going to do, the band's going to come out, we're going to have a time of response. And as we sing this song and as we think about the words that are in this song, again, take that moment to respond to what that little voice and prompting is that God is doing in the back of your head. Maybe you just need to raise your hands and praise and thank God for who he is and his compassion that he's had in your life. 
Maybe you need to get a connect card and write a prayer request on there and drop it in a box on the, on the way out so that somebody else can come and pray for you and be a messenger of hope and love that God desires for you to hear. Or maybe, maybe you just need to simply sit and pray and just say, God, I, I, I'm struggling today. I'm struggling with this person, with this group of people, with people at my workplace or my family members. I need your help. I want to have compassion in the way that you have compassion. God, show me how to love this person the way that you love them. And again, church, I believe that if we choose to change the way that we tend to operate as an American Western church, where this is our place, it's our little spot, it's our safe haven, our refuge, we're going to keep all the really bad sinful people out over here, and we're just going to be all kind of moral in here. I believe if we shift that perspective, that God will use our church even more in our metro Detroit, metro area, in our state and in our world. And it all starts with you and with me being willing to embrace God's compassion and to extend it to people he puts in our place. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And God, we thank you for Jonah. We thank you for the lessons we can learn from him. We thank you for the lessons that you taught him God, we thank you that you are a wonderful counselor, that you know the deepest parts of our minds and our hearts, and you know exactly what it is that we need. So, Father, as we respond to you in whatever way that may look today, may our hearts grow fonder of you. May we repent of sin that's in our life that we need to surrender and give to you. And Father, can we be a vessel of hope, a messenger of hope to people that we know. Jesus, be with us here. Speak to us right now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.